Notice anything different? That's right. No ad. Which means this space is available. So if you have a company or brand or product or anything really that you'd love to promote on 30 Pop, this is your chance. Just shoot me an email at the link in the show notes and I'll give you all the relevant details. Now, on to 30 Pop. Hello. Mom. What are you doing? 30 years ago this past week was the Primetime Emmy Awards. Do you know what show won the Outstanding Comedy Series that year? 30 years ago. It was a show that you loved. I know. Was it MASH? It was not MASH. I liked. Was it Friends? Nope. That was like later in the 90s. I don't know. It was Murphy Brown. Oh, that was a cute show. Do you know what show it beat out? No. Another show that you love and that I love, Cheers. Oh, Cheers was really good. Both of those shows were very well written. Yes, incredibly well written. written. The other contenders in that category were Designing Women, which I know you like. Yes. The Golden Girls. Were you a Golden Girls fan? They are hilarious. That's another well written show. Very well written. And their casting is terrific. Yeah. And then Wonder Years, which was a perfect show in every way. Yeah. That was a cute show. And no, it was perfect. It was a perfect yeah. show. You know, another interesting thing about that, that was the year that Newhart ended. And oh. it ended with 21 nominations for the Primetime Emmys and never won a single award. Isn't that weird? Oh, that is so sad. Because that was a good show, too. Well, I think that's all I had. Yeah. I was going to start the episode well, now. Okay. Well, thanks. Thanks for letting me know all that stuff. It's my pleasure, Mom. I love you, and we'll have you on again soon. I love you, too. All right. Bye. See you later. From Mill U Media Group, this is 35, a weekly peek back at the music, movies, sports, fashion, politics, and news from 30 years ago. I'm your host, Luke Braun. This is Season 2, Episode 38, Violent Moms, Creepy Twins, and Evil Heroes. Today we're looking back at the weeks that ended Saturday, September 22nd and 29th, 1990. Hello friends and welcome back to 30 Pop after a brief, unexpected hiatus. Things have been a little crazy around here for the last couple weeks. As I mentioned in last week's little bonus episode, I spent some time in a beautiful cabin up in Wisconsin recording the entire second season of another show I produce and co-host, Fun Parts, which was very fun. But then I came back to Texas and spent a week with family as we mourned the loss of my dear grandmother, Flora Bronner, the sweetest woman there may have ever been. But now I'm back in Houston and ready to get all caught up on the latest very old pop culture happenings from 1990. We'll go through these pretty quickly today because, well, I'm ready to feel caught up. The easiest place to start, as you might guess, is with the top album on the Billboard 200 chart for each of the last two weeks in 1990. MC Hammer's Please Hammer Don't Hurt Him. I have to wonder if people were beginning to grow as tired of talking about this record back then as I am today. I loved this album, but you already know that. I've already mentioned it about a hundred times over the course of this year. I am very ready to move on. But I keep mentioning it to emphasize how extraordinarily long a time this album was at the top. After today, we still have five weeks to go, and that's just how long it was at number one. I have no idea how long it remained on the charts altogether, and I couldn't possibly be bothered to Google it right now. 
Okay, fine. I looked it up. 108 weeks total on the Billboard 200. Over two full years. Unbelievable, but true. But not everyone was a fan, especially among Hammer's less pop-centric rap peers, many of whom took shots at him and his incredible success in their lyrics. Among them was rap legend LL Cool J, who was no stranger to lyrical beef. On September 14, 1990, his double platinum selling album Mama Said Knock You Out hit shelves. But despite being my favorite album by LL, barely broke into the top 20 on the Billboard 200. As for singles, at the top of the Hot 100 chart 30 years ago last week was once again Wilson Phillips's Release Me. 30 years ago this week, however, it was the song Can't Live Without Your Love and Affection by pop rock duo Nelson, made up of twin brothers Matthew and Gunner, the sons of late pop pioneer Ricky Nelson, and the grandsons of musicians-slash-actors Ozzy and Harriet Nelson. Here she comes If I'm honest, the Nelson twins have always, always, always weirded me out completely. They were, in my humble opinion, for all intents and purposes, rock and roll's answer to Millie Vanilli. I'm sure they weren't untalented considering the musical environment in which they were raised, but I can't help but believe their success had far less to do with talent and far more to do with their family, the untimely death of their father, and the fact that they looked like a walking, talking, singing, dancing shampoo commercial. That being said, I did learn a couple interesting things about these guys in researching for this episode. First, they're in the Guinness Book of World Records, along with their parents and grandparents, as the only family to reach number one status in three successive generations. They also became, after the tragic death of their father in a plane crash, the first independent band to ever perform live on Saturday Night Live. And perhaps the most interesting thing about them, at least for me, is that they sort of accidentally wound up writing the theme song for Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Two heads are better than one. But because they were in the middle of the process of signing a record deal, their A&R representative recommended that they not use their band name for that. So the song was released under the band name Power Food. But again, sadly, that's the most interesting thing about them. Unless you count the fact that whenever I see them, I can't help but think of the Merovingian's villainous twin henchman from The Matrix Reloaded. The number one song on the hot rap chart last week was, once again, D-Nice's debut single, Call Me D-Nice. But it was replaced this week by Father MC's Treat Them Like They Want to Be Treated, a song that feels utterly forgettable to me, but for one reason. Father MC wasn't an artist that ever resonated for me, but this song was how the world was introduced to one of what I believe to be the greatest R&B groups of all time, Jodeci.
There's actually a pretty interesting story here. Throughout the 80s, Cedric and Joel Haley, known by most as Casey and JoJo, performed as a gospel act called Little Cedric and the Haley Singers. In the late 80s, they were connected through a girlfriend from another gospel act with brothers Donald and Dalvin DeGreat, known by most as Devante Swing and Mr. Dalvin, who were then also performing as a part of a gospel group, the Don DeGreat Delegation. The foursome became friends and joined together to become Jodeci. They wrote and recorded a three-tape, 29-song demo, which they took to Brooklyn, New York-based Uptown Records in search of a deal. They were offered a recording contract after rapper Heavy D heard them sing and were given a label intern to help develop their look and sound. That intern? The now-near-billionaire music industry mogul, Sean P. Diddy Combs. And this chart topper by the otherwise honestly kind of mediocre father MC was how young Diddy chose to introduce them to the world, which clearly worked out well for everyone involved. Moving on. The number one single on the hot country chart for each of the last two weeks remained Alabama's song Jukebox In My Mind. And as for the hot R&B and hip-hop chart, the top song last week was Crazy by Motown Kid Quartet The Boys, which isn't a terrible song, but its success is almost certainly connected to its music video, which parodies basically every other major artist at the time. I've linked it in the show notes as usual for you to check out. The top song on that chart this week in 1990, though, was Thieves in the Temple by music legend Prince from the soundtrack of the soon-to-release film Graffiti Bridge. film world, we had two new major releases over the last two weeks in 1990, each of which held the top spot at the box office for its opening weekend, and each of which probably deserved to hold it for longer. Last week, the number one film at the box office after releasing in theaters on September 19th was Robert De Niro, Ray Liotta, and Joe Pesci's spectacular gangster crime drama, Goodfellas, directed by Martin Scorsese. As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. What do you think? You look like a gangster. I know I By the time I grew up, there was 30 billion a year in cargo moving through Idlewild Airport. Believe me, we tried to steal every bit of it. What do you do? I'm in construction. He's not Jewish. Mazel tov. For most of the guys, killings got to be accepted. Hey, Henry. Here's an arm. Very funny, guys. Here's a leg. It's a wing. <laughs> what do you like, the leg or the wing? For us to live any other way was nuts. <laughs> and we were treated like movie stars with muscle. We had it all just for the asking. It's going to be a good summer. <laughs> it was a glorious time. On the streets where the violent have power, a new generation carries on an old tradition. 
This movie is seriously incredible. It was nominated for six Academy Awards and 10 years after its release was selected for preservation in the National Film Registry by the United States Library of Congress due to its cultural, historical, and aesthetic significance. As at least a second-generation lover of gangster films, I can honestly say this is near the very top of my list in that genre. Joe Pesci won the Oscar for Best Supporting Actor for his part in the film, which makes sense as this was his third best work, in my opinion. Behind My Cousin Vinny in second, and obviously the soon-to-release greatest film of all time, Home Alone. Yes, Goodfellas is that good. Almost. Not quite, but almost. The top film at the box office this week in 1990, though, was one that I remember being very confused by when I saw it, but which I believe today to be highly underrated. The very creepy Melanie Griffith, Matthew Modine, Michael Keaton thriller, Pacific Heights. What do you think? 750 grand, huh? We'll fudge the numbers a little. Yeah, you're just a little bit nervous. We've never made this kind of investment before. I know, I know. This legal description of building. It's a wooden building with windows. (laughs) (laughs) So we rent the studio for a thousand. One bedroom for twelve hundred. Thirteen hundred. You should go up and down. Brand new gas stove, disposal, microwave. You have to remember that this is an investment, Patty. It's not just an investment, it's our home. Mr. Palmer, right? Goodman. Hi, Carter Hayes. Well, you've done a beautiful job here. When can I move in, Drake? You don't even know him. You don't even know his real name. It isn't Carter Hayes. Mr. Hayes? Mr. Hayes? Is that you? Mr. Hayes? Hey! He's not like anyone else. He does whatever he wants. He's changed the locks. I don't like this guy. Hayes' rent didn't come, did it? This is a sick individual, Miss Palmer. Look, I know you're in there. I can hear you in there. If he's in, he's got right. This is all happening, that's normal. Mr. Hayes? He's far and away the most intelligent man I've ever met. This is my business, and I'm very good at it. If you try and cut me out, Mary, just don't do it! You? Just chasing a shadow. I want him out of here! Give me the police, please. This isn't a moral question, Patricia. This is a game. Hello, Patty. It's nothing personal. God forbid he ever makes it personal. What am I going to do with you, Patty? Pacific Heights. I say this movie was confusing for me only because Michael Keaton, who I knew only as Batman, Bruce Wayne, and Mr. Mom at this point in my life, was so convincingly villainous. I probably didn't see this till a couple years later, but I remember not really knowing how to process what I was seeing. Bruce Wayne being evil. That being said, today I find myself thinking, why don't more people talk about or know about this movie? The answer to that question is likely because it was sandwiched between 1989's Batman and 1992's Batman Returns. I think the world just wasn't done with Michael Keaton as the caped crusader, and so this film will always be hidden in the shadow of those iconic blockbusters. But 
as we are now fully into Halloween season, I highly recommend checking this movie out over the next few weeks and celebrating another great performance from Keaton, as well as Melanie Griffith and Matthew Modine. Friends, that about does it for this episode, but I'll be back next week to revisit the premiere of a series that would, in so many ways, come to define the decade. I do hope you'll join me. In the meantime, know this. I'm going to take this itty-bitty world by storm, and I'm just getting warm. 30 Pop is produced, edited, and mixed by me, Luke Bronner. Our artwork is by the amazing Heather Hale. To check out more shows from Mill U Media Group, visit millumedia.com, which is linked in the show notes for this episode. And if you have a story from 1990 that you want to share on the air, email 30poppodcast at gmail.com.